Welcome to Casting Hope, a sermon podcast of Hope Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio. My name is Joe Hack, lead pastor at Hope, and we are so glad you're listening in wherever you are. In this moment of social distancing, we hope that our audio and streaming resources meet you where you are at and help you stay connected to God and to His promises. So we are continuing our summer series on the cross of Christ each Sunday. We're taking a look at a passage in the Bible that can help us understand and maybe grasp the cross of Christ. And lately we've been asking this question, what did the cross actually accomplish? What did God accomplish on the cross? And so late Anglican pastor scholar John Stott answers this question with four words. Propitiation, justification, redemption, and reconciliation. And now these sound like complicated words, <laughs> they are, in a way, uh, and you might be thinking, why overcomplicate the cross with these textbook words? But the thing is, these words are not textbook words, they're Bible words. And so what we're going to just do is we're going to dig into what Scripture has to say about this so that we can better understand what it is that God says about the cross. And so we're spending the next month or so figuring that out. Last week we looked and started our exploration on the word reconciliation and what that means. And we looked at Colossians 1 and we saw that the cross of Jesus accomplished reconciliation between God and His creation as well as God and His people. But that's not all the Bible says about reconciliation. This morning we're actually going to explore what God has to say about it in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 17. I'm sorry, it's chapter 5, verse 17. This is God's word. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Lord, with the words of my mouth, and would the meditation of all of our hearts here this morning be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and redeemer and Holy Spirit? Would you open our eyes and anoint this time so that we would encounter you in a life-changing way through your word? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the other day I was playing a card game with my boys, and as the game went on, the draw deck started to dwindle, and the discard deck started to grow. And my littlest asked, Dad, what happens when the draw deck runs out? Does the game end? It's a great question. And I told him, nope, we just reshuffle the discard deck, and we start fresh. Well, this image of reshuffling and starting fresh is one I've thought a lot about lately. Since 2020, I've been telling people that the pandemic felt like God reshuffling the deck. 
It's as if we've been playing with cards, we've run out, God reshuffles the deck, and now everything is different. I was actually talking to my neighbor about this recently. We were agreeing that major life decisions somehow, someway, feel easier post-pandemic. It feels like we're in a new era. It feels like we've been given, in some ways, a fresh start. But I think for most of us, we've relished this fresh start. We acknowledge the challenges, but we decided to take advantage of the destruction. I see new housing projects going up. I see folks having new hobbies. I see folks pursuing new, uh, new habits, new reading habits, all these things. We relish the fresh start that we were given in 2020. But let me just be honest as well. It seems as though the optimism, that burst of optimism, is starting to wane. Can I get an amen? <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't have science to prove this. I don't have a survey to prove this. I only have stories. But these stories are piling up. Our initial optimism for a new beginning, this reshuffling of a new deck, is getting buried in new anxieties. Mark Sayers, he quotes Indian novelist Arundhati Roy, who said in 2020, quote, Historically, pandemics have forced humans to break with the past and imagine their world anew. This one is no different. It's a portal, he goes on. A gateway between one world and the next. We can choose to walk through it, dragging the carcasses of our prejudice and hatred, our avarice, our data banks, our dead ideas, our dead rivers and smoky skies behind us. Or we can walk through lightly with little luggage, ready to imagine a new world and ready to fight for it. A clean break, a fresh start, a reshuffle. But Sayers points out, that two years later, this was written in 2020, that optimism in some ways feels naive. Sayers argues that the world we live in is not so much a new world, but a gray zone. And he borrows this language from military strategists who use it to describe battles that are no longer clean cut. It feels like a gray zone. It's confusing. It's disorienting. And I feel that Sayers is correct that the world, this reshuffle thing, is not so much a fresh start, but it's really just a brand new confusion. And our optimism is gone, and what we're left with is us searching for a fresh start again. And what that means is, what do we do with that search? And, and the answer that the Apostle Paul would give us, and that he does give us this morning in his letter to the Corinthians, is to look somewhere else for that fresh start. Always. You are longing for new. You will not find it anywhere except in Jesus. He says this in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Paul is saying something decisive and irreversible happened thousands of years ago in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. And if you are in him, you benefit from that. Which is to say, if you place your hope in Jesus, you are brand new. Now, sometimes we intellectualize the faith... Uh, and so when we read this verse, as I'm often tempted to do, we think that Paul is saying, if anyone is in Christ, you now look at the world new. You have a new way of looking at the world. You have a new way of interpreting the world. And that may be true when you embrace Jesus, but that is not what Paul is saying. Paul is actually saying, when you are in Christ, new 
creation. Something happened. You are new. That's so different. So if you are longing for a fresh start, if you're out there right now, I want to say that that can only be satisfied with us. In Christ, we have all the new we need. Now, how can this be true? Well, Paul tells us in verse 18, reconciliation makes that true. Look what he says, verse 18. All this, all of what? All of what? All this, he says. All of this newness, new creation, is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So reconciliation here is the fountain from which new creation flows. Which explains why this word reconciliation pops up so many times in Paul's letters. In fact, many commentators and interpreters of Paul think that reconciliation is Paul's home base. It's his center. Uh, One of these interpreters says that is because of Paul's own story. Think about it. Remember, Paul was Saul. Enemy of Jesus and enemy of Jesus' people. But to quote Murray Harris, on the Damascus Road, Paul himself experienced God's reconciliation. God reconciling him, a hostile enemy, to himself, forgiving his sins and making him a new creature by grace. That's Paul's story. If Paul was alive today and if he wrote a book, I think it might be titled Reconciliation. How Jesus Makes All Things New. And the first few chapters of this book might be his own story of reconciliation. Jesus reconciled him to God and it made everything new. It even gave him a new name. Paul. So if you're longing for a truly fresh start, then Paul tells you from experience, it can only be found when you're reconciled to God. And that's because this reconciliation at least according to 2 Corinthians, gives us two new things in life. In Christ, you have a brand new status and you have a brand new mission. Reconciliation in Christ gives you all the new you need. First, by giving you a brand new status. And we see three areas of this new status in this text that we're looking at this morning. The first is this, forgiven. You are forgiven. That is your status. That is your unalterable status in Christ. Forgiven. Look again at verse 18. All of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, verse 19, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. One commentator says this is about as close as we get in the New Testament for a Uh, to a clean, simple definition of forgiveness. When I read that, I thought, that is really profound. Forgiveness is in Christ, God not counting your trespasses against you. Two words to look at in this phrase, count and trespass. First, trespass. What is a trespass? Well, it's as if God builds a path and says, this is the true way. This is the good way. This is the beautiful way. 
But we trespass. We step across the path line and we forge our own path. We distrust God. We Actually, when we trespass, we are accusing God. And we're saying this path is not the true way. This path is not the safe way. This path is not the beautiful way. This is. Sorry, you're wrong. This is. And so a trespass is when we walk across and we step into our own path-forging territory. For example, our Toyota Highlander has a safety feature that encourages the driver to stay in their lane by doing two things. And I don't know if your car does this too. It's brand new to me. Okay. Uh, first of all, it beeps at you if it detects that you're creeping into another lane. Anybody get this beep? It, it beeps at you. And it actually, number two, it nudges you. So you're driving in the highway and you start creeping into this other lane. You feel the, the wheel actually pulling in the opposite direction. Like when you're bowling with bumpers... It's like digital bumpers on my steering wheel. It's very bizarre. You can turn it off, and I often do. Because I like to trespass on the highway. Uh, And that's like our conscience. We feel a tug on the wheel. We hear a beep when we start to move out of God's good path. But we cross the line anyway, don't we? Well, that, as I said earlier, is an accusation against God's good ways. We're saying to the Maker, we're saying we know better. And that is a trespass. But now look at the word count. Look at that word count in our passage. That word count is an accounting term. It's when you credit something to somebody's account. Maybe you woke up one day to a credit in your bank account. Not a debit, but a credit. And you're thinking, that can't be right. And if you have children, you remember, oh my gosh, like... They're, they're giving a, a, a child credit to families. So one day, I didn't have this money, and now I have it. What happened? It was credited to your account. That's what happened. So combining these two words, we get a picture of forgiveness. In Christ, God does not count or credit your trespasses against you. Let that sink in. Sometimes the simplest truths about Jesus are lost. Just let that sink in. All of your trespasses, past, present, and future, in Christ, are not credited against you. He could, but he doesn't. To quote one scholar, when God forgives, he does not forget, but he does choose not to remember. For all of us, this is the only new we really need. Isn't it? This is the only new we need. We need the status of forgiven. But that's not all. In Christ, we're not just forgiven. We're declared righteous, it says. This is verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Okay, so if verse 19 is God not crediting your sin to your account, that leaves me with a question. Where does that sin go? Verse 
Verse 21 answers that question. Jesus, the sinless one, became sin. Which is to say, took on our sin and its penalty. That's where it went. But that's not all. In verse 21, we see that he took our sin, but we took something as well. God's righteousness. In other words, we are not just negatively forgiven in Christ. Your sins are not counted against you, but you are positively righteous in God's sight. That is called justification. It's a court analogy. We're not just cleared of charges, but we are actually declared right by God's justice. That's how reconciliation works. Justification is what is under the hood of reconciliation. So he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might have right standing with God. And so when you look at the cross, you ought to, con- you ought to consider that he who knew no sin became my sin so that I could take and receive and become the righteousness of God, have right standing with God, and therefore be reconciled to God. That is how it works. So that means that if you are in Christ, you are not just sort of status forgiven. You have way more than that. Status righteous. And finally, I think from this text we can draw this status as well. In Christ and by the cross, we are not only forgiven, we are not only righteous, but we are liked by God. Take a look again at verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Him, to Himself. Notice who we are reconciled to, God Himself. Commentators point out that the goal or the end purpose of reconciliation is that we would be with God. That's the whole point of it. And so this is so, 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 so important to stress, so important to grasp, because too often we talk about the cross... And we caricature God as this hateful tyrant who is softened by the flagellation of Jesus. That is a caricature. This passage tells us differently. It's the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, working in cooperation to reconcile you to Himself. To bring The whole reason Jesus came was to pursue you and to bring you into the eternal joy of the Trinity. You're not just loved by God, you are pursued by God. You are liked by God. This is something I'm borrowing from Kelly Capich. God does not just tolerate you, He sings over you. And the cross is His love song. This is Him coming to you and saying, I want you. You're alienated, but I want you. I know your trespasses. I know them better than you. I want you still. I want to do everything I can. And I want you to know I've done everything I can to get you in relationship with me to my glory. Forgiven, righteous, liked. So what divinely granted status do you need to rest in today? Go ahead and pick one. Forgiven, righteous, liked by God. Maybe even say out loud with me, I am forgiven. 
but I am righteous. I am light. And maybe even begin your mornings and end your days with that simple three-word truth. I am good. I am right with God. I am like God. He has covered my shame. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's your new status. That's all the new you need. Do you believe me? That is all the new you need. The old is gone. The new is gone. New status. But that's not all. God gives you a new mission. Look again at verse 18. It says, all this is from God through Christ who reconciled us to himself. And then verse 19 says, not counting your trespasses against them and entrusting us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So those who are reconciled now have a simple mission in their life. We don't just sit in our reconciled state. We have a mission of reconciliation now. A ministry of reconciliation. We have an ambassadorship. So that's what the image that Paul uses. Ambassadors, they go out. They go away. They enter uncomfortable and unfamiliar territory. And they represent the one who sent them. That's what an ambassador is. Which means, and this is the value of our church, every member is a missionary. If you've wondered, like, what is my purpose in life? We could... We, you know, this is a good place to start. You could just simply say, I have a simple purpose in life. I, I'm an ambassador. I'm an ambassador. And I have a ministry of reconciliation. I, I simply bear witness to the reconciliation that's happened like Paul did. And I simply tell others about it. And word it indeed. I think this passage challenges us in two ways. On the one hand, it challenges us with the profound dignity that God gives us here. In those days, ambassadors were treated like the one who you represent. So I read this. Rabbis would say, quote, the one who is sent is as the one who sent him. That's how profound this statement is from uh, the scriptures. Jesus is basically entrusting his ministry of reconciliation to you. And that's an amazing privilege. It's, it's, it gives us an immense amount of dignity, but it also uh, challenges me with humility because we are not the point. This means that we are not the point of our life purpose. We exist to point others to the reconciliation that Jesus brings. If you've been reconciled, you are de facto entrusted with the message of reconciliation. And that word message is literally in the Greek word. You have just a word. Our mission is a word. It's not a technique. It's not sharing a product. It's not a curriculum. It's not, it's not a practice. It's not even an example. This is a word. Our mission is simply to bear witness to an event. That's what we do. The cross that reconciles. That's, that's, our, that's what we do. In fact, Paul even uh, believes that the reconciliation that, that, that happens to us wasn't really us. He said, be reconciled to God. That is an incredible statement if you think about it. I think in this verse when he says, be reconciled to God, he's giving us a script. 
He's giving these ambassadors a script. You want to know what to say when you do go into these challenging areas of your life and relationships of your life. Well, be reconciled to God is a good place to start. Which is a profoundly humbling thing to say and to, to believe, frankly. Because we aren't even the agents of reconciliation. God is. And so that, in one way, takes the pressure off. We're not in charge of other people in their response to this message. We simply point. We point to the cross that reconciles. About 13 years ago, there was a garage fire that erupted in our back alley, and it was quite dramatic, and it was quite the scene. And the next morning, as I was pulling out of this back alley, I noticed a bunch of news crews. And I might have shared this with you a long time ago, but I remember um, I just sort of had a brain freeze, and I drove towards the news crews. Why on earth did I do that? And so, tap, 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 tap. You know, there's a camera crew, you know, kind of peering into my window. Hey, sir, do you live near here? Yes. Uh, Can you just tell us about what you saw last night? And suddenly I found myself bearing witness to a garage fire on the local news. I was local man for a night. Well, they wanted simply my testimony about what happened. That's all. And so what I did is I simply bore witness to what I saw happen. It actually wasn't very stressful. Um, and I, I feel like that's essentially what's going on in this text. We're simply asked to bear witness to something that happened. That's what makes the gospel so different from every religion, any philosophy. All these other um, ways of life are more about what you do, more about what you practice, more about um, you, frankly. And the message of reconciliation is a very humble thing. You're simply saying, like, I'm not, I mean, I can point to the cross that reconciled you. It can reconcile you. So what does this mean for you? I think it means tell your story, like Paul. I'm really inspired by this idea that Paul's center is reconciliation because of his own story. I think that's really powerful and explosive. And so if, like Paul, you can just bear witness to the facts of the story that changed your life, tell your story. You were once alienated from God, but now you're reconciled to God. You are new. You have this amazing gift. You have this amazing gift, the status of forgiven, righteous, of having divine friendship. I mean, isn't that what everybody's hungry for, divine friendship? You have that. And and you can simply say, here's how I got it. I, I didn't get it because something I did. I got it because something that was done. And I simply laid hold of it with my desperate empty hands. It means you can take the pressure off. Like, it's not up to you. It's not up to you. It even means you can share the message of reconciliation with your weaknesses. This is an insight from Jack Miller. He often says evangelism is way more powerful when you bear witness to your weaknesses and your flaws and the holes that are in you and all the mistakes you've made and all the trespasses uh, you've, you've done. When you do that, what happens? The power of God rests on you. And they recognize and they see in you how powerful reconciliation is. It's not up to you. It's not even about you. But God wants your story to be told. And I would just ask too that you take your story into new places. I'm challenged by David Garland who says this passage should encourage us to take our story of reconciliation to places of profound alienation. If alienation is the opposite of reconciliation... And we can simply ask the question, and I encourage you to do that this morning. 
Where is that place for you? Where is that alienation? And how is God calling you to humbly share that message of reconciliation in that space? In Christ, we have all the new. And that's because we've been given a new status and a new mission. Let's pray. Lord, we bring all of who we are to you this morning. Our sin, our trespasses, our, 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 our shame, our, our doubts, our worries, our concerns, all of these things we bring to you. And at the foot of the cross, we hear your sure word, sure that anything else in this world, sure than our news feed, sure than our social media feeds, sure than even our dearest friend's words. Your word is absolutely sure, and it says, you are forgiven, you are righteous in my sight, and you are pursued in my time. Would we sit under that, believe that, and would that new status give us what we need today? And then, Lord, would we just take that and simply would you open our mouths so that we could bear witness to this word in other people's lives who need it so desperately as well. And it's in Jesus' name we ask this. Thanks for tuning in. For more information about our church and for more resources like this, visit our website at hopechurchcolumbus.org.